Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And if you sort of end it right there, it's sort of it's a simple version, and we all like simple versions. And so if you'd say, well, you just, you, you just need to ask, and you'll receive, and um, then everything will work perfectly. But I think for most of us, um, if you live long enough, You've asked for things and you've not received them, all right? And so this is the message where I want to talk, dive into where we talk about when God doesn't answer your prayer. Um, and if he answers all your prayers and you don't need this message, good for you, right? Go get a coffee, you know what I mean? And this will be like something for the rest of us, all right? But I will say this, just think, um, I want, to share these, I want to share these thoughts, and I, before I share them, I want to just give a little caveat. Um, this is for those of us that have honestly, honestly struggled and wanted things or asked for things, and they haven't worked out. And, and clearly, you know, you can say to some things, well, you were just being selfish, and so you asked for something that was selfish, and so, of course, God didn't give you that. And they used the great example of the lottery. All these people won the lottery. So many people won that the, the net of the Powerball was $17, right? Uh, but let's say, no, it wasn't, I'm asking to win the lottery. I'm asking for God to heal my daughter. And that prayer wasn't answered. And if you live long enough, you come into this square reality that it's not that simple. And so if it's not that simple, what could it be? Um, and I will, I will just say, to be brutally honest, and not what you're used to hearing from a pastor, I don't know. Now, I'll give you some suggestions. I'll give you some thoughts. You can hold on to them and, and see what they do for you. Maybe they'll help you. But here's the thing I want to say, the caveat. Please don't use this message to preach to somebody at Starbucks that's hurting. Because this is what I see happening all the time. A well-meaning Christian is there and it's like, oh, don't worry, my pastor told me, here is why. Right? And someone's life is falling apart, their world is shattered, they're praying for some little, I mean, it's, it's probably appropriate that we're doing the blankets today for children in hospitals, right? Because I don't know if there's a prayer that you or I would want answered more than God, heal this little child in a hospital. Um, but if you live long enough, you know that those prayers don't get answered. And you can't tell me it's because they weren't sincere or the people weren't kind-hearted or you can't tell me that there weren't enough people praying. There has to be something deeper. But I'm saying this, it's stuff, I'm going to say this is stuff for you to chew on. Stuff for you to chew on, not for you to spew out. You ever been there when someone's given all the Bible answers? given all the God answers, it's brutal. I mean, it's just brutal. And they're well-meaning. I know because it's nice to be the person that has the answers, right? You're like, oh, I got this. I, a pastor told me about this last Sunday. And I, I want to tell you exactly why this person's suffering. If you remember the story of Job, remember? Job suffers. He loses everything. His friends come next to him. Uh, he goes from the top of the mountain, money, family, uh, the great life, people, friends, all this around him to losing his fortune, losing his family, 
losing his health. His friends come around him, and at first they don't say anything. By the way, this is my best recommendation for if you have a friend that's suffering. Just go, as they say, uh, sit there. Be with them. You don't need to say a lot. Usually, the more you say, the more trouble you get into. Isn't that true? I mean, I know sometimes we're nervous and we want to fix people's problems, don't we? I, I know. Did I tell you guys a story about when I was, did I tell you this when I was in college and I lost, uh, my, my, one of my high school friends went to college in the same town but different school. And so he lost his mom from cancer. Did I tell you this story? I go over to his dorm and I'm so shook up for him, you know, sudden he lost his mom to cancer. I went in there and I just started talking and talking and I said, I go, who told you, your mom? Not real pastoral, right? It's kind of a miracle that I'm here. And like, like two minutes into it, he just starts laughing at me. You're like, you're so stupid, you know. And I, but we, we want so bad. You know, I just didn't know what to say, so I just started saying things. Anybody been there? And sometimes we feel like we've got to say things. And of course, if you know the story in the, in, the, in the book of Job, it's, you know, they get rebuked later on for talking too much. So let's try not to be the answer people all the time. As much as we want answers, we don't always have answers. Maybe it's significant that Jesus on the cross says, Why? Why have you forsaken me? That he ends it with a question. Can I just say something that will give you, help everybody here relax? You're going to ask why until your last breath. And if Jesus asked why at his last breath, so will you. You just have to resign yourself to the fact that you're not, I know, and you, as intelligent as you are, you are not going to understand everything. As brilliant as you are, that the mystery is much bigger than you will ever be able to grasp. And so we have to be okay with why. We have to understand that there are mysteries There are things that you won't know. You hear all kinds of people explaining all kinds of things. But when people are hurting, when people are in pain, I don't think it really helps to give these trite, you know, and even if you have a Bible verse attached to them, kinds of answers. Someone said this, it made a lot of sense to me. Show up and shut up when someone's hurting. And then someone add this, The deeper the pain, the less you say. Isn't that good? I mean, when somebody goes through something that's profoundly painful, there's just less to say. Instead of trying to explain the unexplainable. So here we go. Let me just dive in and give you some suggestions. Here's some things. And I, I, I want to, before I give you some of my suggestions as to why prayers go unanswered, here's your questions. Um, when praying for someone else, is it enough or is there more that I could or should do? This, I've had a lot of them hard to answer. This is easy. The answer is yes. Go visit them. Care for them. Give them something. Be the answer to their prayer. This is profoundly easy. Yes, you don't just pray for somebody. You do for somebody. Question. 
Is there a intuition inside of us that a prayer has been answered? How do we know? Good question. How do we keep from being frustrated when our prayers are not answered? This is the heart of what we're going to dive into today. Is it wrong to pray for the same thing all the time? Like, please watch over my Orchard Grove family. If you add praying for me specifically, it's not wrong, just so you know. Uh, the question goes, I know he knows. Is it really a moot point? And this is what we've been diving into when we talk about the mystery of prayer. Because on one hand, it's, it's, we read ask, and on the other hand, Jesus says very clearly, your father already knows what you need before you ask. Don't go on and on with all of these words. Question is this, why sometimes do you pray for something and it doesn't happen? Can you be sure that you are heard? And maybe this boils it down. My niece's sister committed suicide 10 years ago. Her husband passed away a year and a half ago from cancer. I asked her to pray for this person and leave the name out. And she said, I don't think God listens to my prayers. How do I respond to that? I don't think we know, but I'm going to offer you some things to chew on. First, I would just like to say is this. Sometimes, perhaps, there's more going on than you realize. In other words, perhaps you have a limited perspective. Perhaps, um, like a, we, the example we've given over and over again, with a parent to a child, kids ask you for things and you don't always say yes. And the reason you don't always say yes is because um, sometimes what they want is self-centered. Sometimes what they want is self-centered and they don't realize it's self-centered. It's not immediately apparent that it's self-centered. Sometimes that you can see further than they can see. An oversimplified thing is if you're, if, you're, if, you're high, if you're taller and they're real short and there's a bush here and they say, can we cross the road? And they can't see the car and you can see over the bush and you can clearly see the car. The answer is just simply what? No, no or not now. It's just that you can see something that they cannot physically see. You can't fault them for asking. You can't fault them for questioning you. That's all they can see. And the problem with being able to see that is you kind of, you, you think your perspective is every perspective. Is this true? When you're this age, you think your perspective is every perspective. You don't realize that there is a higher perspective that can see over the bush, that can see the coming car. And so quite, to, to just simplify it, is there are reasons that we don't get answers, perhaps because there's a vantage point that we just don't have. I think some of you can look back over your life and realize, you know, it's probably good that I didn't get some of the things that I wanted early in life. huh? If you went to your high school class reunion, you can say amen to that. Say, <laughs> I mean, you can just look back, all right, for some of you, and, and you can say, Wow. You know, I, wa- I was headed so fast for this. I wanted so bad for this particular thing. And as it turned out, that might not have been the best thing for me. 
So sometimes it's good that those particular things don't work out the way that you want them to. In Isaiah 55, it says this, my ways are higher than your ways, right? God has a vantage point that you and I don't have. It's just, and, and so as long as you have this vantage point, the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, right now we know in part, we see in part. Right now we can see the bush. We can see a part of the road, right? One day you'll be above the bush, right? One day you'll see stuff that you can't see now. Right now we know in part our perspective is limited. So maybe one simple answer is just that there's some stuff that we just can't see right now. And the problem is, you're going to want to insert the why. Well, there is a car coming or this, but you just don't know. All you know is that there's a, there's a vantage point that I don't have. And this is frustrating for us because we love answers. We love answers. We love certainty so much. But sometimes you just have to say, I don't know. Right now, we know in part. And then as you start to refresh your memory, if you've read much of the scriptures, these things start coming to your mind like, like eye has not seen and ear has not heard and nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has in store for those that love him. In other words, there's a whole lot of stuff that we just don't know. But it's good. Ready? But it's what? It's good. But it's good. And so what we can do is say, you know, there's some stuff that I'm never going to understand, but I'm going to have to trust that it's good. Beyond the fact that God may have a different vantage point or there may be a different, um, a different plan or a different purpose, things that you didn't consider at that time. You can think of this when you think of Jesus giving to the, uh, to the disciples the plan that he was going to die on a cross. You remember this? And he reveals it to Peter. He reveals it to the disciples. And they don't immediately accept the plan like, oh, well, this is good. This is God's plan, so it must be good. The first thing they do is they say what? Never, Lord. Never. They reject it. That's not good. Why? Because dying is not on anyone's plan. Here's the business plan. You go in and present your stuff, right, to the board. I'm going to die next year. Kind of going, going for a resurrection shortly after. <laughs> you just don't present that way. It's not how you present. You don't say, I'm going to tank the company, but don't worry, we'll bring her back. <laughs> you just don't do, and so you're laughing, but the thing is, is, you have to understand how it was received in Peter's mind and the disciples' mind. Like, no, you don't, you, that's not a plan. Death is not a plan. Losing is not a plan. That's conceding. We're going to give all of our profits to our competitors. That's what they heard. And Jesus said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. But that's not how it's going to end. You see, part of the thing of us letting go of control is what we've been talking about in the series is you, you, you die to win. And sometimes you have to learn to wait and the timing. And how many are tired of waiting? Just put your hand up because I know you are. Right? You have this prayer, you have this want, you have this dream, and, and you just get tired of waiting as we do. We just get, I don't want to wait anymore. Who does that sound like? Your four-year-old. Isn't it? Isn't this? It's, it's, I, I just don't want to wait anymore. I, I'm just, I don't want to wait anymore. And here's the other thing. Can I just throw this out there just for grins? You know, 
part of this is we've been duped into thinking that time is so important. How many people have you heard, time is important? Time is of the essence, right? You got you to make hay while the sun shines. We, the, if you grew up in America, you were steeped in the value of time. Now, some of you want to throw things at me right now. Not because I'm teaching it's the Bible, because I'm teaching it's American values. Time is money, right? Time, time, time. Now, what did we actually learn scientifically? What did we learn? It's all relative. Time isn't actually that important. Don't throw anything. We thought, right, what, 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 we've, what we're learning is we're, we're like limited scientifically. What we've learned is like we, time we thought was like this, this commodity, right? Like now what we're learning is maybe that's not even true. Think about this. People get desperate when they start thinking they're running out of time. You ever made a bad decision because you thought you were running out of time to make that decision? You ever, you ever get under pressure, anybody? Time deadlines? Why are people stressed on the freeway? Why? Because they planned ahead? Huh? huh? Why were you stressed coming to church? Even though you had an extra hour, you were still stressed. And you were yelling at the kids. You had an extra hour. Huh? But see, here's, we've, we've thought, no, I, I, we get, we're short on time. This is so important. No, you're not. Do you remember when, you remember when they're trying to get Jesus to hurry? Great story. Great story in John's gospel, right? Uh, Mary and Martha, they come. They, the one you love, your friend, Lazarus. He's sick. He's dying, right? And you would think if your friend is dying and Jesus is your best friend, you're, you're good. Text him, right? I mean, just think about it. No, if you live on planet Earth and like your best friend is Jesus of Nazareth, no worries. He'll come running. What does he do? He tells Mary and Martha, don't worry. This won't end in death. This won't end in death. And then what happens? He dies. See, do you see what I'm saying? Most of us, we get locked over here. I hear, I can't tell you how many times I hear people, God promised, God promised, and so God promised, they promised, and they, they get, they feel like they got God all tied up in knots. You think anyone lectured Jesus? You promised. Said he wouldn't end in death, and then he dies. How do you do that? This is what's important. Ready? Our end and God's end are not the same. They're not the same thing. When you think it's the end of your story, it's just the end of your chapter. Are you with me? What you think is the end of your story, that's just the end of your chapter. It's just like, oh, okay. How about this part? Timing is something we have to trust. Just put it in God's hands. Say this, my times are in your hands, right? My times are, they're in your hands. This is not my timetable. This is a bigger timetable. So perhaps there's more going on than you and I could even begin to imagine. But let me throw something else out there. Perhaps the whole reward-punishment system that most of us grew up with is outdated. What do I mean by this? Most people, and this is what I've been leading to in this whole series, if you're following along, most people have this idea that prayer is some kind of a transactional system, a little bit like a slot machine. 
Ah, no. Call the prayer group again. Right? Get more people on the prayer chain. Right? We got to get all oranges. And prayer is like you put something in and you get something. It's transactional. And the key is to say the right words or get enough people praying or be sincere enough or use certain formulas and then you get answers. But what if that whole reward punishment system is completely outdated and we just need to finally wake up to it? Now, let's talk about reward punishment systems. They work for a while. And you need, how many, like, you were brought up, or if you're a parent, you're bringing someone up, and you use these systems. Why do you use them? Because they work for a while. You need a reward. Please, uh, if you do this, if you get, mine was, if you get all uh, A's and B's, you won't get grounded. I have a real low system for me. (laughs) Real low. All right. If you don't get any C's, I won't ground you. That's what was mine, right? I still, and you, how many have had them? If you do this, I will do this for you. And those systems, they work for a while because they need simple things. You do this and I'll do this. And so we project that on God. And it works in our infantile faith. I got this because I did this, therefore God did this to me. But it all starts to break down, which is actually what the whole story of Job is about. Because it starts, he's a righteous man. There's no fault in him. So it's given you, it's given a, a quandary to that simplified reward punishment system. Well, if he's righteous, then why are these terrible things happening? Which is the whole question. If I'm sincere and I want this prayer answered, why doesn't God just answer it? Or maybe that's not how it really works. Didn't any of us actually read the story of the prodigal son? Well, Chris, don't insult me. I grew up on that story. I know the story of the prodigal son. First of all, I've got I to correct you. It really shouldn't be called the prodigal son. Um, if you've been to any of my Bible studies that I do or my 2.0 classes, you'll, you will hear me talk about how horrible these little titles are right here in the Scripture. These little titles, they're so terrible. They're terrible because they're man-made and they're misleading. So if you read in, in Luke 15, it says the prodigal son. And so you read it, you go, this is the story of the prodigal son. Some guy in Grand Rapids gave it that title. <laughs> there is no title for it. What should it be titled? In my humble opinion, it should be the pouting son. The pouting son? Well, yeah. Read the story. Yeah, it starts with the story of a wandering son, a wayward son, right? Anybody here got more than one? Anybody here got more than one in the family? Huh? Are they different? Is one of them wacko? It's okay. If they're near you, it's okay, right? One of them's wacko. What? Where did you come from? So there's two sons. And the one son's wacko, right? The, the older one's like, obedient, and yes, daddy, yes, daddy, oh, yes. Reward, punishment, I love it. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah, can I go out and play? Yes, sir. Can I do some extra chores just to help tidy around the house? Dad loves him. Then, then the next one's born. Wild child. Anybody? I don't want a haircut. I don't want to wear clothes. I don't want to go to school. Anybody? Anybody raise one of those? I mean, you literally, you literally try to hide him at family functions. Like, I don't know the other one. He's in the car or something like that. He's, 
right? The young one, he's, he's wild, man. He's just out there. And, and he takes his dad's money and he spends it all at hookers. And uh, it's, it's in... Okay, prostitutes. And... Don't you guys read the Bible? Do any of you read it? You guys make it like it's all bland. There's nothing, nothing exciting in there. So he's, he's out there. He's living it, man. He's wasting the whole thing, right? Finally, he comes home. He comes home. Dad's worried about him, upset. They start a party. They get the fatted calf. They, you get all the, the family, the servant, everybody's there. There's a big party. And the older son's out working, you know, head to the, you know, knows he's studying algebra. I mean, he's doing his work in the fields. And he comes and he goes, hey, what's going on? And like, oh, your brother's back. We threw a big party. Luke 15 says he went to his bedroom and starts pouting my words. He's angry. He's angry. Why is he angry? He says, Dad, I, all I've ever done is what you've asked me. That's all I've ever done. I'm always going to church on time. I'm not like those other people. I'm not like him. How can you throw this party for him? I've been here all along. What's the story about? There's a key word in there that says, meanwhile. Right? Meanwhile, in walks the older son. If you were a storyteller, you'd go, meanwhile. i go, oh, there's, this is a key. What is this story about? Is this a story about a prodigal son? There isn't a parent in this room that doesn't get that off the bat. No kidding. If my kid was out there, wayward, and he came back, big party. Wide open arms of love. This is a duh. This is, we made this like, oh, this is, the, this is not the story. The story is about the powder. The one that couldn't get over it. And if you read the story, it's in the context of the religious. Jesus is telling this story to who? The Pharisees. The people with the reward, punishment system baked in their head. This is how God acts. And let's be honest, that's how 98 of you were brought up. This is how God acts. You do this, and he'll give you this. You pray this, and he'll give you that. And if you do this, he's going to... And that's how everyone's brought up, and it's so funny that it's been 2,000 years, and we missed the main story. Jesus is saying that's perhaps not even how God operates. Some of you are mad right now. Well, I should. Right? (laughs) Well, yeah, you should when you're doing well, right? I mean, the reality is, of course, God wants us to be nice and be good. Of course. Of course, God doesn't want us to waste our life. But, ready? The reality is that's just not how the system works. It's messier than that. Oh, you accountants are so upset right now. No, no, no. God always, God always keeps track. Evidently, at some point, he just throws a party. I think 
the biggest problem that we have with prayer, I can read it in the language of the questions that I get. If, please, I understand because this is how we grew up. This is how I grew up. Reward punishment. But I read it. Is it wrong to pray this way? Why would you even put the word wrong in there? In your question. Why does everything have to be right and wrong about how you pray? It's just how we've been baited all of our life. You see, the, this story was told to people that were stuck in the old system. So he goes to his room and he refuses to come to the party. He's up there pouting. Jesus, what's he saying? Yeah, Jesus is saying this to these Pharisees. He's like, you bunch of whiners. You can't handle it that God's just generous, that he's just good. And some of you, you've had a referee. You've had to referee this exact argument in your own home because you gave grace to one other one, another one was obedient and followed the line, and he's mad because he, this one got grace. And you just have to say, I'm sorry. I just, it's just grace. And you, and you could say, and I've been pretty graceful to you too. And you just haven't realized it all the time. The whole system works on grace. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he tried to give us a completely different idea of prayer. It's not based on the reward-punishment system at all. It's all based on grace. And don't think that you, because you asked for this, you got it, and this one didn't because he asked for this. He says, at the end of the thing, you know what he says? He goes, just seek first God's kingdom. And all this stuff will be given to you. Well, what do you mean? Maybe if you're just about something bigger, then maybe God will just make sure all your needs are taken care of. Anybody ever get like nitpicky with the kids? Like, oh, well, if I do this chore, I get eight cents. I get this, I get 12. And you're like, come on, dude. I just, I spent like a billion dollars raising you. What, what? Anybody? Really? Anybody? Do you think Jesus at some point was just saying, hey, just seek first the good of all. The kingdom. God will take care of you. I want to throw one more thing out there. Maybe there's more going on. Maybe there's stuff God can see that you can't see. Maybe it's not even the reward punishment system. Let me say one more thing. Maybe God is beyond our picture. Our our current mental image of him. I heard some guy say this this week. It helped me. It helped me. He said, you know, when you were in junior high or high school and you got a, a model of an atom, remember, science? And it had these, like, colored little balls and then it had, you know, and you got this model to help you understand what is an atom. And, it, you, you, it, and you were told, like, these things rotate around each other. And let's just say you got this model. And then you went on to advanced science and you started getting to the realm where you could look at atoms and high-powered microscopes and you're like, but, the, but there's no blue ball. And someone knocks you on that and goes, dummy, that was a model to get you started. Are you with me? That was just to get you started. Stay here, stay. Some of us have grown up a little bit 
but we're holding on to the old model. And God's going, that was just to get you started. These images that we've had of God, right? The throne, enter, make it quick. Oh, oh, I just want to get a good grade. No, I mean, you know, uh, some of you, I know some of you don't like this. I, I know some of you don't like this series. I did one. I said, I don't think God cares that much about who wins the football game. And some guy came up to me afterwards and let me know that God does. All right. I am not God. I am not. Okay. If he does, he does. I mean, certainly he gave a beat down to the Nittany Lions yesterday. So go God. Right. But I, 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 this is not where I'm at. And here's the thing. There were, Jesus and Paul laid out a couple of bombshells and we just, we just let them go. So everyone's somebody that's really witty and they have this dry sense of humor and they'll drop a joke in and like, whoa, man, no one got that one, but that was good. <laughs> let me give you a couple. Jesus talking with this woman at the well, and she's from Samaria, which is kind of lost on us. It really is. It's 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 a it's a thing that's in modern culture we don't get the tension between Samaria and and the Jews and and but he said you worship on this mountain, we worship on that mountain. They had two separate mountains, two different places, and they believed God lived in their mountain, and the, and the Jews believed God lived in their temple, their mountain, mountain. And Jesus goes, I think, I think we're past that. I'm going to paraphrase him. I think we're kind of moving past that stuff. John chapter 4, you can read it. I think we're kind of moving past that. And then he lays a bombshell out there. God is spirit. God is spirit. It couldn't be contained in anyone's house anyway. This is how we started the whole series. God isn't in a, behind a curtain somewhere. God isn't in someone's house. God isn't in some building. God is spirit. I love, sadly, we lost Eugene Peterson, who, who gave us the message Bible paraphrase recently. We lost him. But I love his paraphrase of John 4, verse 24. God is sheer being itself. Spirit. If the model gets you somewhere, the throne and things coming down, or God with a big Gandalf beard, it gets you somewhere. It gets you somewhere. And then it just doesn't work after a while. All I have to do is say, well, that's okay. It was just a model anyway. It doesn't take away from the reality, it makes God more powerful. Paul, Paul goes on and he says this. He goes, God isn't far from us. God doesn't live in temples, Acts 17, talking to the people at Mars Hill in Athens, where we'll go if you go with me in our Footsteps of Paul tour next year. He's not far from any one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. We have our existence. We're swimming in God. you got to go home 
and read Acts 17, 20. You just got to immerse your brain in that. What in the world? What in the world? Maybe God is far, far bigger than any of our models or metaphors could take us. And then Paul says this. Again, like the killer joke that no one got in the room, you are the temple. So God is where? I'm quoting Paul. So if you're praying to God and you're going like this, and he's like, hey, we haven't wrestled with this much, have we? Perhaps God, as we're waking up, and go back and just read, you know, the story of Jacob in Genesis 28, where you remember the story, it's the, it's the ladder that goes to heaven, quote, and he, he goes, he, he wakes up in the morning and he goes, this is the house of God, Bethel. El God, Beth, Beth, uh, Bethel. This is the house of God. There's no buildings. He slept on a rock. He goes, surely God was here and I didn't know it. I wasn't aware of it. About four chapters later, Genesis 32, he has a similar experience. And he goes, surely this is God's camp. <laughs> this is his house. This is his camp. What's going on? It's, a, it's an awakening. God is not in faraway places, but God is here and here. And I'm just quoting the scriptures. Wouldn't it change how we prayed? If we really believed that. But don't most of our prayers revert back to this? Huh? Oh, come on. Some of you guys love this. Like, that's kind of how I want my life to be. For some reason this week I was studying the the monarchies of Europe. I don't know why I got to studying the monarchies of Europe, but you know, I was reading about the, the scepter of the king of Spain. And they have a picture online you can see of it. You may enter. All the language now is in God we live and move and have our existence. You are the temple. God is spirit. Not on this mountain or that mountain or this throne or that throne. But think about how much better it feels to know that God is with us. Right? How much better it is to know that God is in us. That you are the temple of God's Spirit. I don't know why. So the whole answer to the thing is, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But I think praying is not just a useless exercise. I think praying provides peace. I really do. And I think that's why Paul talked about it. He says, give all these burdens to God, your requests and your needs and all these things. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Because at the end of the day, we need peace. 
peace to know that it's going to work out. I don't know how. I don't know when. I just know that it will. I know that it's good. Somebody said it this way. This helped me. Getting answer to prayers or being finally happy is sort of like chasing a butterfly. You know? You just can't quite get a butterfly. But what you can do is stop and sit and let the butterfly come to you. Sometimes happiness is not chasing and chasing and chasing until you can get it and then you can tell everybody you got it and you talked God into them. But it's like, oh, you must be something. You talked God into this and then it makes these Christians better than these Christians. It gets all wacky. But sometimes if you sit, the butterfly comes to you. Some of you are really looking for happiness, and I can tell you a couple of things. First of all, you're not going to understand everything. And if you tie your happiness to understanding it, you're not going to be happy. Things have happened to you. Things have not worked out. And if you say, I need to understand this, and you tie your happiness to understanding, you're not going to be a happy person. So why not just give it up and say, some things are beyond me. I'm not going to understand everything. Ready? Some things aren't going to change. They just aren't. This particular person died. This particular job was lost. This particular relationship was broken. This particular illness is with you. And some of them aren't going to change. And if you can just accept that, you can be happy. Do you see how the wrong view of prayer does us actually damage rather than providing peace? Because it leaves you always wanting something that you're not going to get. I circle back to Jesus saying, nevertheless, I accept your will. Nevertheless. Nevertheless.